This is the Monroeville Christian Church podcast, where you can find sermons, Bible studies, and other biblical content produced by Monroeville Christian Church. My name is Covey Wise. I'm one of the preachers at Monroeville Christian Church. We're committed to teaching, training, and transforming lives for Christ, and we invite you to grow with us. I want to thank everybody once again. Sean mentioned it in the announcements, but I want to thank everybody uh, for the work day yesterday, those who came out. Uh, We were able to get a a lot of work done. Uh, A lot was accomplished downstairs, if you know what's going on down there with our new co-op. And uh, just thank you very much for all the time you put in. And uh, Here recently I was doing quick figures in in my head of all the people that are involved with these new ministry efforts. probably well over 300 man hours, if I had to put a, an amount of time on it, that have been put in. Just a lot of meetings, a lot of behind the scenes things, people buying stuff, people coming here multiple days out of the week to help with the work effort. It's, just, it's neat to see that happening and uh, the energy that is there uh, as God's people work together and make new ministries happen. So thank you very much for all your hard work. Yes, absolutely. And glory to God that we are able to do these things. So this morning we're going to continue in our Miracles of Christ series. Um, we have one more after this. Next week will be the, the final in this series. But this morning we're going to look at the resurrection of Lazarus. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn into John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Uh, Specifically, so far, we've looked at six of what are called the seven great signs recorded in John's gospel. The turning of water into grape juice, the healing of the nobleman's son, the healing of the the lame man at the pool, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, and and then also healing the man born blind. And all of these great signs point directly to proving the divinity of Christ. And as we've considered these miracles, I like to repeat each week as as we think about these wonders in John's gospel, why John wrote them down for us. In John chapter 20, he says, once again, we'll read, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote down these specific things. Uh, John also is the one that tells us at the very end of his gospel that if he were to write down everything that Jesus did, the libraries, all the books in the world wouldn't be able to hold it. So there's so much that we don't have. And so why do we have these miracles written down? So we're going to think about that once again as we take a look at this miracle this morning. Again, this is the seventh and final of the great signs in the book of John that take place before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This miracle is only recorded in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 11. And we may ask why, thinking about the magnitude of this miracle, the wonder of it, why is John the only one that writes down the record 
of Lazarus raising from the dead. Well, some possible reasons that are given by scholars is that the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tend to focus on his miracles that took place around the Galilean area. Also, Lazarus was still alive when the, when the synoptic gospels were written. And it could have endangered his life if this story got out, if it was spread further. We're told even in John chapter 12, verse 10, that the Jewish leaders, after this event that we're going to look at today, the Jewish leaders were seeking to even put Lazarus to death. John 12, verse 10. So widespread publication of this miracle during his lifetime would have directly endangered his life even more and would have aided to the celebrity status and it's generally thought that by the time John writes his gospel account, that Lazarus is deceased for the second time. And so John, is, he can safely write this down and give us a record of this without it bringing more attention to Lazarus while he was still alive. And then finally, each gospel writer was inspired by the Holy Spirit to record what God saw best and most suitable for them to write down. And in all reality, based on what John himself says at the end of his letter, we only have a fraction of the miracles that Christ did. And who's to say that there weren't others raised from the dead? And there's a reason why we have this one, but there might have been other people that rose, that Jesus rose from the dead. We just don't have those recorded. So what we have recorded is what God wants us to know. These accounts that would deliver the most impactful proof as to why Jesus is the Son of God. And so let's begin. We'll read verses 1 through 16, John chapter 11. And it says there, Now a, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant a natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So Lazarus was a, a common name during the first century, like James and John and even Jesus. They were all popular names. But John makes specific reference to Lazarus' family, mentioning his sisters, so that no one's confused about what Lazarus this is. And I think it's very interesting to note that Lazarus is also the name of someone else in Scripture, isn't it? 
Or we find that account of the, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. And was that the same Lazarus as this? No, it wasn't. But in that account, the rich man asks if someone can be sent back from the dead to warn his five brothers about the torment that he is in. And what was Abraham's response in that account? Anyone remember? They have Moses and the prophets, and they need to listen to them, right? And he pleads with Abraham again, that this Lazarus in Luke 16. And he said to him, Lord, if someone from the dead goes to them, then they'll repent. And Abraham, he said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I think it's interesting that here now, I don't think it's a coincidence, that years later, John writes down his account of another man named Lazarus, this close friend of Jesus, who raises Lazarus from the dead. And even after seeing this miracle, what is the response of some of these prideful Jewish leaders? They're just like, yeah, they don't believe. They still don't believe it. Proving what Jesus had said, I mean what Abraham said to be true in Luke chapter 16. So after this miracle, the Jewish leaders, they, they ramp up their efforts even more to try to not only kill Lazarus, but to kill Jesus as well. And we find out that Lazarus is dying. This messenger sent to Jesus to give him the news. And the journey from Bethany to where, where Jesus, from where Jesus was would have been at least a day. And so by the time this messenger gets to Jesus, Lazarus has probably already passed away. And Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. That through this man's death and resurrection, God will be glorified. And so this is the ultimate purpose for this miracle, to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. To prove that what he said was the very word of God. Because God was going to be glorified through what he would do. There may be times in our own lives where we ask, we wonder, why have we lost a loved one? Sometimes we're tempted to ask, why Lord? Why, why them? Why at this time? And we can find comfort knowing that God will use all situations for his glory. That the death of one person may bring out the need for someone else to become closer to God. That the death of one person may cause someone else to seriously consider their own life and purpose. Because He will use those situations for His glory. Romans 8.28 tells us this. And we're also told to give thanks in all circumstances. In this passage, we see that Nothing is going to deter Jesus from doing God's will. Verse 7, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And his disciples, they're hesitant. They don't want to let him go back. They know there's been threats to try to kill him up to this point. Jesus stays where he was at for two more days because there evidently was more work to do. Possibly another reason. 
but eventually he decides to leave. Jesus says, I'm going there to wake him. Nothing is going to deter Christ from accomplishing the will of his Father. And in this, we can learn a valuable lesson. To not let anything deter you from doing God's will. John chapter 6, verse 38 through 40, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on that last day. So over and over in the New Testament, we're told to do God's will. Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, The world is passing away, also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So we need to learn this important lesson from Christ in this account, that he is doing his Father's will. Nothing is going to deter him. Even the disciples warning him, Jesus, they're going to kill you if you go back into Judea. They're going to take your life. He says, no, we're going. Let's go back. This is the Father's will. Sometimes choosing to do the will of God will bring definite persecution. Sometimes it will bring pain. Sometimes it will bring suffering. But we do it because it's the right thing to do. It's what Christ did. Jesus says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? In other words, there's work to do. As long as we have breath in our lungs, there's work to do. And he knew that his enemies couldn't touch him until God allowed them to do it. So with every day, we should have a renewed outlook on the Lord's work, realizing that it's always the right thing to do to serve him, to do his will. And our last days will not come until we've done all the work that God has appointed for us to do. There's two important phrases in this first section, two final important phrases to look at. The disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Now, what were they thinking? The Bible tells us. What were they thinking this sleep was? It was just a, it was a natural sleep. And most of the time, that's what happens, isn't it? When we, we get sick, we want to lay on the couch. We want to lay around for a couple of days. And then usually, hopefully, what, what happens? get better. And so they're thinking, let him sleep, Lord. Let him rest. We don't have to go to him. He, he's okay. He'll get better. But Lazarus isn't just resting. He's dead. And Jesus confirms this. He says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. That's interesting. Because why would Jesus say the one who could heal any disease, he could give sight back to the blind, he could heal the lame, he could cure the sick, why does he say, I'm glad I wasn't there? Because there's a greater miracle, a greater will for his Father. Something greater to be done. If Jesus had been present while Lazarus was still sick, 
He infers here that he probably would have been overwhelmed by the, 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 the compassion of his family members. He would have been overwhelmed by the grief, and he probably would have healed him and made him well from his sickness. But the fact that he died will provide an even greater miracle. This shows that Jesus already had in mind, even at this point, even before he leaves, he already had in mind what he was going to do. He uses this circumstance to help his disciples grow in their faith by witnessing this magnificent wonder. And there may be circumstances in our own life where we wonder, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow me to go through that struggle? Why did God allow that, that loved one to pass away? And in those cases, we need to remember that he may be allowing something to happen so that something greater can take place. Something greater is able to happen and it strengthens our faith. Amidst the difficulty, we keep trusting him. We trust in his timing. And like Jesus, we continue to do his will. Let's keep reading, starting in verse 17. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you, plant, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside, and the teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So there's no indication that Martha or Mary are married. Their brother passing away would have been a very difficult thing for many reasons. If he was the man of the house, he was probably the primary money earner. He was more than likely the one who owned the property in the house. He was their provider and their protector. And without him, there would be much uncertainty in the coming days. But regardless of their situation, there were difficult days ahead of them without their brother. They were in need of comfort and hope. 
Most commentators believe that this family was probably of considerable means, having a house large enough to house Jesus and his disciples when they were in town. And the fact that they had a tomb to place Lazarus in and that there were many mourners lend to the fact that Lazarus was a very wealthy man because only the wealthy could afford a tomb. It was only the wealthy who could afford to hire professional mourners to come and be there. This Mary and her sister Martha are found in three places in the Gospels. They have a dinner at their house, the raising of Lazarus, and then another dinner at the house of Simon the leper. And in these circumstances, we can see that Martha's more task-oriented, isn't she? She's the one serving the people. She's always up from the table, never resting. But Mary is more concerned, more with the religious values, with the matters of the heart between the individual relationships. And this gives us an indication as to why they address Jesus the way they do when he arrives. Martha, she goes out, she meets Jesus. And Mary stays at home mourning and weeping. Martha's quick to address him, maybe a little critical at first, but she's respectful. And after this brief discussion about the resurrection of the dead, we find that Martha wholeheartedly believes her brother will rise again. She believes Jesus is who he said he is. But it's clear that she still doesn't understand what's about to happen. And this is a lesson for us. We may not understand everything about Jesus. There may be circumstances in life that we have no idea why we're having to endure them. But John wants us to notice that even Christ's closest friends and disciples had difficulty understanding him completely. They didn't realize what he was capable of. The important thing is that they trusted in him. That we trust in him. That we, like Martha, believe that he is Lord and Messiah, the Son of God. That he can do the impossible. After Martha said what she was going to say to him, she goes back and into the house. She calls Mary aside. So she's more or less content with the response of Jesus. And that should be our attitude. As we petition the Lord, as we ask in faith, we wait for his answer. We wait for how he's going to answer it. They, they both say to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. This is probably something they're saying to each other multiple times as Jesus is, I mean, as Lazarus is sitting there sick on the bed. Why isn't Jesus here? Why didn't he come? Why wasn't he here earlier? And we too may have those similar kinds of struggles. But just like Martha and Mary, the Lord wants us to find hope in this miracle. Because Jesus told them. This is one of the great I am statements in the book of John. I am the resurrection and the life. Not only does he have the power to raise the dead... This means much more than the power to raise one man. Because in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, it says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming. This is Jesus speaking. 
when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So when Christ says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die, he's referring to eternal life. Because he is the resurrection and the life. In this section of scripture, we, always, we also have the shortest verse in the Bible. John 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. Those who were present noticed the compassion that he had. Not only for his friend Lazarus, who was passed away, but for the sisters. And why did Jesus weep? We're not told. But we know he was human. Certainly he was overcome with grief. Maybe the grief of his friends. Maybe he wept for Lazarus, knowing that as, he was, as Lazarus was called back from the dead, from paradise, he was going to be called back to a life of temptation, a life of pain and suffering. And that he was going to have to die again someday, physically. Jesus knew the future. He knew the Jews were going to threaten Lazarus' life if he did this. Jesus even knew his future. Maybe that was weighing on his mind. This is just a mere, maybe about a week before he dies on the cross. And he knows this is going to add to them coming after him. This is the lead up. This is the event that starts this process, this chain of events that will lead to him being hung on the cross. In verse 37 but some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now knowing what we know about the, the miracle of the man born blind, we covered that previous sermon. Why is this significant, this question? Why is it significant? Because these, these very people who are saying this are hypocrites. Remember, when we were looking at that miracle, the man born blind, the Jewish leaders who witnessed the healing of the blind man went through all kinds of spiritual gymnastics, didn't they? To try to oppose the blind man. To try to oppose what he said, what his parents said, what other people were saying. But here, they used the very miracle that they said couldn't have happened or didn't happen to try to disprove and discredit Jesus. They finally acknowledge that the man born blind was healed. But only when it was convenient to ridicule him for not being able to do something else. Little did they know God has something greater in mind. And we need to remember that, church. When others slander us for doing the Lord's will, we keep serving. We keep trusting. We keep trusting in the Word of God, in His truth, and we stay faithful because God will always have the last word. Verses 38 through 44 say, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. 
Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus was dead. Jesus confirms it. Mary and Martha confirm it. The Jewish mourners at the house confirm it. John testifies to it. Without a doubt, he had been dead for four days. And why mention four days? This is significant because there was a Jewish tradition that stated that the soul of a dead person hovered over the dead body for at least three days. Kaufman says regarding this superstition that Jesus removed from his enemies any such possible explanation of the resurrection of his friend Lazarus, an explanation they doubtless would have resorted to if it had not been removed. So in other words, if Jesus would have not waited those couple of days to come to Lazarus and arrive on that fourth day after his death and raised him to life before the superstitious third day was over, his critics could have used that as a reason to discredit him. Mary thought she would have to wait until the resurrection of the dead, the second coming of Christ, to see her brother again. In her mind, she had no idea he was going to bring Lazarus back at that moment. But Christ was about to do what even his closest followers thought impossible. And in verse 40, Jesus repeats what he had told the messenger who was sent to him at the beginning of the account. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so this miracle was performed so that God would be glorified. The very reason why God may not answer our prayer in the way we would like it, in the timing that we would like it, even though he can, but sometimes the reason why he might not do it is that so that he will be glorified. So that others will believe in him. And all who are in Christ can find great hope and comfort in these words. That the stresses of every day, the temptations, the sufferings that we go through, the sorrows of life that come, we can repeat this same phrase, to the glory of God. When we lose a loved one, we can say, to the glory of God. When death is at our own doorstep, to the glory of God. And we can say this with confidence because He is the resurrection and the life. Father, I thank you that you have heard me, Jesus says. It is clear from this passage that Jesus didn't have to say these words, but he did show that he and the Father are one, that nothing was done without his Father's consent. This miracle especially, he wanted his followers and the Jewish leaders to know without a doubt that he was doing the will of God. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. 
Now, according to what we read in John chapter 5 before, if Jesus would have just said, come forth, what would have happened? Everybody would have risen from the grave. He is the resurrection and the life. And one day, he will say that. All the dead in the entire world would have risen if he would have said, come forth. He came out bound in tight grave clothes. And George Fall says, I suppose he floated out of the tomb. It's clear others had to come and unwrap him and let him loose. Sadness and anxiety and doubt and fear and death and the testing of faith in that moment gave way to happiness and victory and joy and a renewed faith in the Master. What a miracle. Amazing account. And many of the Jews who were present believed in him. In John chapter 12, it says, Now the crowd that was with him when he had called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This miracle caused two reactions that day. For one group, it renewed their faith. And it caused many others to believe that He is the Lord of all. That He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. For the other group, it caused them to deny Him even more. And even plot to kill Him. Because of their prideful rejection. And He gives you the same choice today. And hearing these words, will you decide to follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords, knowing that only He is the resurrection and the life. Only He has the power to raise you on that last day to life eternal with Him. Will you make the right choice today to follow Him? 